On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I actually don't believe right that priest said I have any harm. He just like thought I knew. But that's how I found that Miriam Martina was dead. How likely is it that Trump will be found guilty of paying hush money to former adult film star Stormy Daniels? We're talking about involvement in serious drugs activity on both sides of the border and as well as that, the procurement of weapons. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. Thewa, O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll oh. through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Well, the starter pistol has been fired on the international rugby season. Andy Farrell has named his first Ireland squad of the new campaign. 38-man squad, 18 Leinster, 10 Munster, 7 Ulster, and 3 Connick players will form the November squad for games against Japan, New Zealand, and Argentina. Plenty to look forward to. New caps include Kieran Frawley and Dan Sheen from Leinster. And we also have the return of Simon Zebo. Four and a half years after he went into international exile, following a move to Rossi 92. So there's plenty to sink our teeth into on today's show. Luke Fitzgerald is here with me. How are you doing? Good, Will. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. International uh, Announcement Day is always an exciting one, scanning through the squad to see if uh, certain players are in, certain players are out. Is it a nervous time for the players? What, what's it like? How do you get the call when you when you were a, a player? Are you looking at your phone every two seconds? Uh, yeah, you are, I suppose. Yeah, hoping for that email to come in towards the end of... Um... Oh, no, actually, sorry, I think it was emails all the way through. Um, but yeah, no, you're you are scanning the phone, making sure that you're you're kind of included. There's probably about uh probably 20, I would say 60-70% who are pretty sure they're in, I'd say, for most of these uh, these things, and they're generally not that nervous. And even some of those people obviously would be senior players who'd have constant contact with the coach and know they're in as well. Um, and then I suppose you probably have the rest of them who are definitely the nervous ones and hope checking your spam folder, make sure it didn't go in there. I just double check it. <laughs> exactly. It's got to be in the spam folder. And um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's a, it's a tough time for players. There'll be some people who've been left out uh, or some people who are injured, who are kind of looking at it, you know, enviously um, and maybe thinking about their own game and, and figuring out, well, how do I get back in there? Maybe they've had a conversation the night before with the, with the coach or the day over probably this evening, Andy Farrell's making all those calls. Um, you know, to say to people, listen, look, we, we're, we're going with whatever, such and such ahead of you. This is why we think you need to improve this and that. Um, and um, yeah, they're tough phone calls for both parties to, 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 uh, to, to go through. But it's something that I think is important for some people to go through in their career because it's a real growing moment for, for lots of players. So, yeah, dude, like, what do they get, like, in your experience when you, I don't know how often you got the, the call on the other side where you didn't make a squad, but was it like usually just a short call or was it actually like a lot of feedback, you know, about what well, I'll do this, do that, you know, how, how what was generally made all the squads will um, <laughs> no, seriously, unless I was injured, but didn't make the test team. So I, I probably got those, those, I had those conversations. Um, look, I, I generally got into most of the squads because of like, I was kind of, I covered a lot of positions that, that really helps you get in the squads. Um, so I wasn't, sorry, I'm not being like overly, uh, I'm not being, I'm not being an, an asshole, but I, I generally got into the squads when I was fit because of that reason, I think. Um, and I made the World Cup probably was the only one I didn't get into in terms of squad in, um, sorry, 2011. But those conversations were generally around not getting a team for me um, or getting on a bench. So they're very tough, um, you know, and it just depends who's giving you the advice. Like you get some coaches who are really good and direct, uh, you get some coaches who are terrible, um, you know, talking rubbish, you know, and then you have other people you kind of have to, you know, and they're the ones you kind of have to challenge uh, on their bullshit, you know, and just say, look, if you don't like me for the position, that's fine. Uh, you can say that. I prefer that person there, you know, and you don't even have to give me a reason. You're the coach. 
but don't tell me this and that. I've had one or two of those ones. Don't tell me this and that because I know I'm better than that person at that and that. I know I, you know, I can point you can point to games. You'll, you'll go into those meetings and you've done a bit of research and say, look, I've done this, this, and this in training. I've done this, this, and this in the game. So I don't think that's right. I think you're incorrect on that. Um, and they're pretty robust conversations, uh, unpleasant for for probably the you know the for both parties. But important to have. Um, and sometimes you get really great feedback that's really important for your career, and you listen pretty hard. Um, and uh, they're probably easier conversations and more pleasant conversations to have, uh, provided they don't go on too long <laughs> uh, in your career. But um, yeah, like it's it's very exciting, you know. And look, looking at that squad, I'm really excited. I think there's a nice blend of very experienced guys, um, but a little bit of kind of youth in there as well. A few very exciting prospects, I think, uh, which I'm sure we'll discuss a little bit later on. Um, but there's enough in there to, to to have me excited, and I think the fixtures as well. I mean, Argentina and New Zealand, obviously, and look, even the Japan games have been pretty exciting the last couple of years. And we'll see probably some of the young. Well, we mightn't get a chance to see all the younger guys, but I think we'll see a sprinkling in those games. Will. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it now, and I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, he picks, um, what I say, an expansive team or an, a, a maybe uh, maybe an aggressive team, a team to win, not a team to be safe, you know, uh, and protect his job. I'd like to see him go out. I think he's late enough in the cycle to probably, um, you know, not get, you know, unless there's a disastrous, you know, November and Six Nations. I don't think they'll be changing anything now. So I think he can take a few chances and maybe express himself a little bit more in this team. Um, and I hope he does that. No, it's set to be a very exciting window. We're delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor to digest today's squad announcement. Rory, how are you? Good, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. It's a very exciting day. The physical season is really getting up and running now with the first squad announcement. A couple of interesting things, obviously, uncapped players like Dan Sheen and Kieran Frawley have made the cut. The return of Simon Zevo, poised to win his first cap in four and a half years. You know, what's the kind of top line talking point for you, uh, you know, after digesting the squad for about an hour or so? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's a strong spot. I think it's a, it, there's a bit of, I think maybe you would have accused Andy Farrell of a bit of conservatism in his first year, but I think he's starting to put his own shape on things. I mean, I don't expect too many surprises or too many shocks in the team that faces Japan or New Zealand. So I think we're going to see kind of continuity from last year, but slowly kind of moving the team onwards a little bit with, say, you know, with Sexton still captain, there's still risk factors around that. But I, I like the fact that Zebo's back in there. I like the fact that he's got an opportunity to go and show what he can do. I think Sheehan and Frawley are really exciting players. I think Jack Harty can be, can be justifiably annoyed that, not, that he's not in there. But at the same time, I'm calling for him to kind of take a long view on the out-half position so I can understand why he's gone with Harry Byrne, even though Harry Byrne's played about 20 minutes of rugby this season. I don't think you can have too many complaints. I'd like to see Nathan Doak in there, even as a development player. I think he's having a great season so far, but you know, I'm sure Andy Farrell outlined his reasons for that next week whenever he does his press conference. But overall, it's not. I don't see many uh, opportunities to jump up and down and be really upset with the selections. I think it's a pretty good squad, um, and it's hard to argue with, with with much of it. Yeah, look, it's funny. Myself and Rudd were chatting off air and we were saying that with the absence of the big European matches that usually go ahead of the autumn test and the Leinster Munster Derby with those two teams being the bulk suppliers, we don't really have the opportunity to be kind of up in arms about selections because there hasn't been that many kind of big tests for a lot of the players. Some guys haven't even played since the Lions Tour, for instance. You know, does that put a different complexion on things that we don't? We don't we're kind of operating on last season's form in a lot of ways and a couple of, you know, URC games which probably haven't been, you know, massively testing for a couple of the teams. Yeah, maybe we are. I think it's um, it's an interesting way of kind of looking at it, I suppose. And, like, I don't really see – there's no one there that I really see, like, in terms of a massive changing of the guard. So all those people who maybe are, you know, in there on previous form, um, I think they're all still playing well, actually. Um, so I'd say – I don't know if there was going to be any of those kind of people usurped. There's no real kind of injuries and things like that that have impacted this bar. Probably Will Addison probably would have been in maybe um, that I can really think of straight off the bat. Um, but there is a bit of youth in there. Like I did like, I like seeing human there as well. Um, I, I'm getting more and more annoyed about Frawley not being considered a 10, but um, he's going to get lucky this time to get in the squad because Henshaw's there. Uh, or, sorry, Henshaw's out. Apologies. Should have said him about the injury. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I think, um, it's a good squad. 
I, I, I like it. I think it's aggressive. I think he has enough there to actually win all three tests. I think if they play well. Um, and there's room there, you know, after one or two of the games to, to see if there's, you know, a few bolters, a few guys that maybe he can introduce in a few different positions or maybe try something there, uh, you know, based on the kind of early form. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's uh, it's an exciting couple of weeks now that we're coming into. As you said, it feels like the start of the season, really. Um, I personally would probably rather they had a few more of those kind of big games coming into this. I don't know what you guys think. Um, I hope they're not too undercooked, undercooked coming into the the RG and the um, the New Zealand games. I just feel like they look like they'll be, they'll definitely be a bit more battle hardened than us. Um, um, so that's probably the biggest concern going into this. But I do like the squad. As I said, Frawley's probably the standout one for me. To be honest with you, I I, I really think he's um, he's playing the wrong position. It's really annoying me now at this stage. Yeah, we'll circle back to Frawley in a second, Rob. But first, just on on Luke's point there about. You know, and what I said with the lack of those two European games and the, and the derby game, like how big of a factor is that for you and how you're kind of assessing the, the state of the squad, the team going into the November series? Just gives us a lack of a, of a kind of a frame of reference, really, doesn't it? I mean, the URC is fine, but it's not, it, you know, that there is a step, a huge step between playing against the Dragons and the, the you know, the Cardiffs of this world to playing against... Japan, New Zealand, and, and Argentina, and it's it's almost a shame that we don't have that USA game in between. They were supposed to play USA in Vegas in this down week that we have after this weekend, but that got cancelled because of the travel restrictions between here and, and, and the United States. Much to the disappointment of the rugby journalists who were hoping to go over and cover it. I wonder um, some junk at Rod. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, they're talking about doing it next year, so hopefully, but um. I think that would be a really good opportunity to, to kind of spread the, the squad. We might have seen a few more bodies like say a Nathan Doku, they would have maybe got wanted the blood there, but they don't really have a margin for error. You gotta remember, like there's no room for experimentation against the All Blacks. I mean, and and four of Ireland's next 12 games are against the All Blacks. Like they're gonna be the games that define the next calendar year that will ultimately define whether this this Andy Farrell side is going in the right direction for, for the World Cup. And I think he's going to have to use the Japan game as a proper hit out. And in fairness, Japan are worthy of that respect. They showed it in, in the J- July tests as a proper, inter- and obviously the World Cup as well, as a proper hit out to get those players. So I think we'll see the same or similar 15 play against Japan and New Zealand with maybe a few changes for that Argentina game at the end. Argentina are not the team they were a couple of years ago. Certainly the rugby championship suggested that. So it's, um, I think what the European games the lack of European games did was it didn't give players an opportunity to really show. Like if Jack Hardy had bossed two European pool games, he might have just got there. Doing it at Tolman Park on the back of a Dragons defeat just wasn't enough for him. Um, so yeah, I, I do think I think you're right. I think it's it, it's a big miss for the players who want to force their way in, and probably means that the established players are safe enough in their positions coming into this window. Yeah, look, you can go kind of into the squad a little more depth, like starting without half. Sexton, Joey Carberry, Harry Byrne, the three out halves named. Sexton, the captain as well. Obviously, as Rob mentioned, you had that really interesting battle between Carberry and Carty over the weekend. Carty, I think, by all accounts, was, was probably the victor victor there in terms of head, head performance level. So you have Jack Carty, you know, Ross Byrne, uh, Billy Burns on the outside looking in. What do you make of that out half makeup? Yeah, I, look, I don't get it, to be honest with you. Um... You know, I actually thought he, like, it, we're, we're in a weird place where we've actually quite a lot of pretty decent out-halves, but the gulf between that and what you need to be to be a regular starter um, in the international team and between the incumbent, obviously, is Johnny. Um, like, it's, we're just not there yet, but there's loads of people playing those positions at this point. Like, I, I really like the look of Healy. Uh, I thought he looked good. I think Frawley might be the best of the other of the, of the three Burns. Harry has only played 20 minutes, so I don't know how he's there, but I presume that's just a development thing. Um, and, you know, Ross, you know, probably hasn't hit, you know, started the season off as, as he would have liked. So um, it's kind of a weird situation. Really. Like, I think that's the riskiest kind of area that I can see amongst the team two years out. Um, and that's kind of probably a little bit of a concern, although Johnny does look to be in great shape. So, um, I think he might get there, but uh, you would like to have someone else who's really pushing him a little bit. Just so Joey um, Carberry, Luke, you know, can I get your your take on how you think he's been playing this season? Because obviously he came back towards the end of last year. 
he didn't have a lot of game time, so expectations were low. But after having the full preseason playing in the summer, people were hoping he would hit the ground running. He's had three starts at half at Toman Park. A good, you know, a good way to bed yourself into this season. But certainly last weekend, he, he didn't go brilliantly. And in the two South African games, I don't think he probably hit his top form either. Like, what, what, what have you made of it? I'm still a bit unconvinced about that. Um, I think everyone knows he's a great, like he's a really good rugby player, like really top quality rugby player, great skills, you know, nice and evasive, good pace, good hands, pretty good kicker. Um, but is he a 10? Like, did he make the switch a little late? Um, I don't know. I'm still unconvinced about that. I, I know everyone will go crazy. I don't think he's, he's still, I still don't think his 10 is his best position. I think fullback is still his best position. Um, so I'm unconvinced by him. Uh, I, I'd like a purist there who's playing week in, week out, and who's playing well. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Like, I mean, I, clearly he wasn't that good last week, Will. Like, I, I just don't know how good, like, is he going to control a game for you? Um, you know, can he last a place? Is he durable enough to, to last through a Six Nations campaign, even at his tender age? I just don't know if that, if all those, if I can answer all those things, would I trust him over the last kick in a pressure, in, in a pressure game? I don't think I can answer yes to that either. So well, he nailed it against Connacht. My mind that I, I'm still not unbelievably convinced about. Um, like there's a real knack to playing ten at the top level, and you have to do a week in week out. Like all this stuff about chopping and changing people. It's no wonder that we don't have a standout, uh, you know, candidate behind Johnny. Like even Van Graham was saying that he's going to pair up his four guys. You know what I mean? So um, as in like, like you know Ben, obviously who looks like the other standout uh, character, Ben Healy. Sorry. Um, you know, both him and Joey are going to be basically playing a game on, game off. From that was what I took from that interview um, before uh, the Connacht game uh, that he gave. So I don't know. I just think I'm a, I'm really concerned about that area. And sorry, I think that's sorry, the reason I mentioned is because I, I think the same thing is happening um, in Leinster, and they're also probably not giving any game time to a guy who I think might be the best fit. For the, you know, from what I can see, for that ten slot, physically, mentally, I think he's a, you know he's really built and he could be very durable as well. You can see from how you know Frawley started talking about Kieran Frawley, like how he plays at twelve. So I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned about that area. Will um, I think Cardi's the only guy who looks like he's playing regularly. Like when Madigan's back in Ulster, like he'll probably tip away at a few games that Billy Burns getting. Maybe not, but he'll definitely take some game time off him. So uh, and do you trust him with the kicking? I don't. So it's a real problem area. I think. Um, and it was interesting. Rhodes highlighted it obviously as his risk area too, I think. But um, I don't know what you think about that. Oh, like it's, it's the I mean, I think it's been the risk area for Ireland for a decade. Like, like Luke, you you played in a World Cup quarter final with an out half who'd started four games against I think it was Canada, um, Canada, the USA, Romania, and this, a World Cup warm up against Scotland during the previous World Cup cycle. Like, Ian Madigan wasn't given really a chance to get minutes in the position in the World Cup cycle and then he ended up starting a quarter final at the World Cup and it got blamed on him and he like he was never really forgiven for it. Jack Harty was brought in just before the 20 he played in the Six Nations off the bench in 2019, got a couple of warm-up games and suddenly started against Japan and seems to have carried the can for that game. I think it's like being an international head coach is a difficult job. It involves very difficult decisions. Managing Johnny Sexton through this cycle is a very difficult challenge for Andy Farrell, because he's his best player, it, it, certainly at 10. He's his most influential voice in the dressing room. He's his captain, which I think was a mistake in the first place, although there wasn't standout candidates at the time. We also went into the last World Cup with a captain who was too old. And we're, we seem to be making the mistake on the double this time. And we're almost like, we're not sleepwalking into the World Cup with this situation. We're doing it wide, eyes wide open. We don't seem to know how to get out of it. And I think there is a chance that Johnny Sexton can be Ireland's out half at the next World Cup and can play really well and lead Ireland to the promised land. But I don't think you can guarantee it. And I think you have to take that as your, your lovely bonus situation. But what you need to prepare for is that he won't be there. And I don't think right now Ireland are prepared for that situation. He's been unlucky that Joey Carberry has effectively missed two years of his career through injury since the last World Cup and is still only finding his feet. I think if Joey Carberry hadn't got injured, he was there was enough signs during that year at Munster when, you know, that Gloucester performance, the time he came on at Murrayfield and ran the show, that he was going in the right direction to get answering all those questions that Luke has put to him there. And I think he's right that right now we're not seeing the answers to those questions. Ross Byrne, Billy Burns, uh, Jack Carthy, to lesser, I suppose to a lesser degree, 
haven't been the answer when they've been given the chance. Then you've got this new broom of Harry Byrne, who's not getting enough minutes at Leinster. Ben Healy, who he played well against the Scarlets a couple of weeks ago, but really hasn't started that many games for, for the province. And Jack Crowley, who everyone in Munster seems to think behind the scenes is the best of the whole lot of them, but hasn't found ground. Like he was playing 15 for Cork Con against Clontarf last weekend, so he's not getting the opportunities either. So it's a really tricky situation. I think the fact that Frawley's in there now and they have a good look at him, you never know. I think, I think in terms of physical profile, durability, he may be the closest thing Ireland have to Johnny Sexton. And they just don't know it yet. Yeah, Rob, because just on Frawley, like he has about an interesting a position in Irish rugby at the moment as anyone in the sense that you know he's played a lot of 12 for Leinster and he's played really well. He's probably the one player or one of the few players, maybe Dan Sheen as well, given they're the two uncapped guys in the squad who have taken the opportunity of these for opening couple of games where it's been maybe a bit of shallow boxing and really put their, their claim forward. But, you know, you have Robbie Henshaw there, you know, at 12 and Gary Ringo's at 13. So, like, where's the opportunity there really for him going to be in the really big games? You have Johnny Sexton there and two Byrne brothers there as well. It, 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 and now he's in the Ireland squad and it'll be interesting to see how he goes there. As you say, he's kind of caught between a number of different stools at the moment. And I know we've talked about him, to be fair, on this podcast for a long, long time, like even long before he came into this squad. But it's a really interesting Career yeah, at the moment left for games him, I think. available. You know, there's not there's not as many URC games this season. There's no games in the international window, so there's less games for the rest. I think you can take it as red that you know there are, will be patches of the season where Johnny Sexton and Harry Byrne in particular will miss because of injury. That, that their profile would suggest that. Unfortunately, Kieran Frawley picked up an injury himself towards the end of last season and missed missed a lot of the season, but has been quite durable and, and has been really reliable for Leinster. And you know, he's he, he started that game in Montpellier last year. Um, and played really well, so he has that bit of European experience as well that he can put behind put behind him. So, like I do think, I think he's a bit of a sleeper in there. And now that he's in there with Mike Cat and Andy Farrell, see him in training and see what he can offer physically and all of that sort of stuff. I wonder whether he'll impress them enough that, like, it's really not the number ten jersey that's up for grabs in this window. It's the number twenty two jersey, and if you can cover ten, twelve, and fifteen, as Kieran Frawley can do, you're very attractive for that position. Maybe it's Argentina, but if you do well in that game, then suddenly you're 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 a boulder for the, not a boulder, but you're a contender for the Six Nations. I like Carberry in twenty two because he can come on at fifteen and change the game. But I think I do think that Frawley, if he can hit the hit this window well, can really pivot himself towards jumping the whole lot of that queue. And and I think Luke's right about Carberry. Carberry's future may be a fullback, but we haven't got there yet. But right now, it's just waiting for someone to grab that number ten nettle. Um, maybe it's going to be Frawley. Yeah, you make a really good point there. You know, obviously in the interest of the competition, uh, removing the matches during international windows kind of made sense. Less games without the big names playing. But for Leinster and for Munster in particular, that takes a huge amount of opportunities away for guys like, you know, the amount of times like Hugo Keane and Will Connors, guys like that got to develop in those windows was huge. Now, I know it didn't make the most unbelievable spectacle seeing Leinster or Munster beat these teams quite well with these young players playing. But from an Irish perspective, Luke, it was invaluable to these guys. And that opportunity is now gone. In November, for instance, after this Friday, like Leinster's next game is a, a big derby against Ulster, you know, heading into European fixtures. And um, so it's not really an ideal time for experience experiment then either so that's a really interesting development window that's now gone as well yeah it is but like it doesn't work for the league either and I think as well what it means is coaches can't now sit on a massive big stack of good players Um, now you could be a dummy and you can sit there and wait and ruin your whole career Um, and there will be people who will do that Uh, but uh, at some point someone's going to have to say well I've got no window here to to show my wares I'm going to actually have to go to a club that will pick me uh, in the position that I'd like to play. Um, otherwise, I'm never, ever going to... Like, I think as well, though, lots of these people who are sitting around... Sorry, not sitting around, but like lots of people who are sitting behind, you know, kind of that 30 who are going to be regularly involved in games with injuries, et cetera, et cetera, every week, right? Um, those people behind that, and there's some really good players, and obviously I'm thinking very much, of, you know, of Leinster here. Those people need to make a very quick decision about do they want to be an international rugby player or not? If you do, you generally have to specialise. Now, I might be biased because I didn't do that early enough, um, but I think it ruined my career aside from injuries. And I think, I see it happen to loads of other people. They they end up being in that position that Rudd's is talking about where, you know, you end up sitting on the bench, um, kind of going, well, he can cover everything, so we'll leave him there. 
but then you end up playing all these different positions week in, week out as well. And you never actually specialize and get great at something. Like it's bloody hard to get an international rugby team. So I'm really worried about a few of these guys. Frawley is obviously the one I've been banging on about for ages, Will. He's obviously come to the fore again. I know I see you laughing there because you're just sick of me talking about him. But I'm worried about his career. I think he's going to end up being like a, he could end up being like an average guy who kind of gets plugged in to fill gaps to suit the teams versus a guy who could have a stellar career. He looks like he has all of the attributes to do that. And I'm glad other people are seeing that now and calling it out because he's going to have to make a decision soon. And actually, the thing about the games and to go back on a broader scale about it, not narrow it up on one player, the coaches are going to have, they want to stick, if they want to get these players and keep the, the youth, they're going to actually have to start making some tough decisions about who they're picking week in, week out. And they're going to have to introduce guys, you know, amongst uh, good players. That's probably what that's I think the way they have you have to go about this. You kind of have to you know start rotating four or five guys in each week, um, and that's how you keep everyone fresh. You kind of go on a different cycle versus what you would have gone on recently. Say, listen, you're training for ten weeks to one of the young guys, but you're going to get two games in that window during November. That's now not going to be available to you. So you have to start introducing these guys in the bigger games. I think that's going to be it. Actually, has the potential to be a better development tool versus you know a whole lot of academy guys going out with Scott Fardy. Um, you know, last season and, you know, beating the crap out of some crap Welsh team or Scottish team or Italian team. I think it has the potential to be a way better development tool, Will, if it's used properly. No, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, it's like the other side of what I was kind of making. I suppose we won't really know until the big provincial games start ramping up. Right. And it's right after the window, the week after Ireland, Argentina, as I mentioned, is a big interpro. Then it leads straight into two European games. Then it leads straight into Leinster Munster. So the, the, the provinces are going to be on the go. And then I think there's more interpros and then the, the rest of the pool stages. So I think there's like a nine week block there where the provinces are going to, their season really starts there, which will be interesting because they'll be coming off the back of the international window. And it, w- w- some players will have played more than others. Uh, just to go back to the squad for a second. You know, the front row was interesting. You know, we were talking off air again. Ireland have the potential now to feel a really mobile, really kind of dynamic front row. You know, does Andrew Porter slot for you straight in at loose head now? Or is he still seen in, in the Ireland context as maybe someone who can cover both, as we were saying, that versatility? With, um, how I think if, that? if Andrew Porter is going to be the loose head at the World Cup, he's got to be starting these games. And I think he's good enough. I think he, he he's played loose head at international level before in, in a World Cup warm-up against Wales. He came on and he, at the end of some poor Welsh fella's chances of going to the World Cup in the scrum. He destroyed him. Like he is, he's a loose head who ended up playing tight head. Um, you know, he's comfortable there. He knows the position. He might have a difficult day here and there in the next couple of weeks, and that's maybe part of the process. I don't really think he will. I'm pretty confident that he's good enough to just slot right in there. And suddenly, you have the most explosive uh, front row that Ireland have ever had in their history. I know Keane Healy's a really explosive player, but I think. Porter and Furlong, either side of Kelleher, who I think is going to leapfrog Rob Herring in this window, is phenomenal and has the capacity to get Ireland amongst the real elite in terms of ball carrying, in terms of handling um, in that area. And then you've got a, a, a mobile, dynamic second row there as well. And then you have potential for a really, really dynamic back row. And suddenly, if you remember when Andy Farrell took over first, he kept talking about athleticism and dynamism. And they were the two things that he was looking for in players. You suddenly have one to eight, an unbelievably athletic and dynamic pack who are capable of winning collisions against the best teams. Now, they've been playing against European teams and Irish Interpros for 18 months. We haven't actually gone against Southern Hemisphere um, opposition for an awful long time. So I think New Zealand's going to be a bit of a culture shock. And, and four games, as I say, in 12, is going to tell us a lot about where these players really are. Like, Caelan Doris has never played against New Zealand, for, for example, someone like that. Um, and I think that like Porter will be targeted because people will see him as being new in that position. But I think, look, he's a lion. You know, he should have been a lion if it wasn't for in- injury. I know it was in a different position, but he's actually better in his better position. And he just won't be as wrecked all the time because scrummaging a tight head takes so much more out of you than loose head. And we're seeing it at the breakdown. We're seeing it in the carry. He looks like he's really enjoying it and relishing it. It's, it's really, I think that's the biggest area where Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell and John Fogarty will be really excited about what they can achieve now because if they can get those lads rumbling forward all these backs we're talking about will suddenly have front football to play off and that's really got a lot of potential for Ireland to be a very good team Yeah Luke in the back row is another interesting one like just looking at who selected Doris Cohn and Van der Fleer Nick Timoney O'Mahony Gavin Coombs Tyg Byrne you know, who can obviously go between second row and back row. It's, there's a lot of good players there it's all about, it's about selecting the best combination since we haven't seen 
the teams play against the other international sides in so long, it's interesting to see what way Andy Farrell goes. So there's so many different options about how you could, you know, set up a back row there. Yeah, there really is. It's like I, I think um, I think Rhodes is right. I think it looks like a really brilliant pack. I think also it looks like a team that that can't be pushed around. I think, funnily enough, what's what's it probably won't be talked about that much. But I actually think, and he's probably not. He hasn't always been a favorite player of mine to to really, uh, you know, in terms of maybe some of the accuracy, particularly defensively. But Ian Henderson to me actually becomes unbelievably important to this team now because he's the only real weighty kind of second row that we have in there. Uh, the rest of them look really kind of mobile. Now, I know James Ryan is very physical. He's still a, a big enough guy. But if you're coming up against a South African pack or, you know, just a really big, gnarly pack, a French pack or an English pack, um, you do need a bit of weight in there. I think we have that in the front row. I think you get the, like, that's just an outstanding front row. It's a great point that Rudd's made. I think it's the athleticism and dynamism and, and also the weight and power. You know, probably didn't really mention that part. Like, they're, they're a big unit in there. Now. Like, Ty Furlong, is, I don't see many loose heads pushing him around. Um, and I think like Porter, like he's a big guy for a loose head as well. So I think the scrum will be in great shape, provided they get the weight in the second row behind them. Um, so Henderson could be very important because I think it's still James Ryan is in that slot for me. I'd be picking uh, between O'Mahony and uh, um, Ty Byrne for that sixth slot. I think we kind of found Ty Byrne's international position. I think I think it's six. If I'm being honest, that's a really tight battle now. And also it gives you a great line-out option. And he's a great scrapper on the ground. Um, Doris and Conan is very interesting. Um, you know, I'm excited to see who kind of comes out on top there. I mean, it looked like Doris had the edge. Um, now, it could have been down to injuries and maybe the vice versa has happened subsequently. But um, that's a real interesting battle. But I think both of those guys, you know, whoever's in there, I think we're in good shape as well. And that seven slot's very good. I mean, I think O'Mahony has the option, I think, of probably heading into that seven role. But I think Van der Fleer is the standout for me, uh, even though Timoney's played well so far this season. So, yeah, I look, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what team he puts out. And then we haven't, sorry, I didn't even really mention Baird. I think he's probably a six at international as well, but I just don't know. I think he might still be slightly behind those O'Mahony and uh, and Byrne in my mind, but very exciting. I think he has to be brave now and, and play a game plan or, or you know, ch- like chase a game plan that will suit that dynamism and play into this team's strength. Um, but you've got to be brave to do that. So interesting to see what happens in, in those two respects, Will, like who he picks and then what game plan he gets him to play because he should be brave with this team. They've got the potential to move teams around. And there's lots of ball players in there as well. Um, so I feel like I've left out Coombs there, but I don't know. I don't see him fitting in yet, but he's getting close. Yeah, and we're like, you know, we're operating off the, you know, the base of Ireland having a really dynamic pack, really good ball carriers. You go to the halfbacks, you could have Murray and Sexton there, who, you know, most likely starting. Maybe Bundy, Aki, and Gary Ringo's in the center. They're probably the most likely pairings. Then you look at the back three where there's a lot of uncertainty. Hugo Keane, you presume, is probably the nail down 15, provided he is, you know, fit and ready to go. Then you have probably, you know, Jordan Lammer, James Lowe, Keith Earls, Andrew Conway, Simon Zebo, Robert Balakoon. There's five guys there that you could probably give me any two names there on the day, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that probably makes a bit of sense, which is both a positive and maybe a negative that there's not more obvious candidates to start on the wing. Like, what are you making a back three at the moment? Well, like, what are you doing asking Luke about the back row and then me about the back three? Like, <laughs> I know. See, I, I, I had my sheet of paper and I accidentally had back three covered, so I, I got halfway down and realised... I'll talk about forward. anything, Rhodes. He knows, he knows his quarry. <laughs> and now we're swapping back to the backs. It's kind of jumping on. It's like supermarket sweep, but it's running around throwing things in. I'll spoof on about the back three for a minute, but I'll let the expert come in in a second. I, I think there's a real opening there for Zebo. I, I think... Um, Back three has been an area that hasn't really been nailed down under Randy Farrell. You know, he's tried a lot of... He, he, I think Keenan is is probably the only one who can be really guaranteed his place. Probably Keith Earls as well. But again, like Sexton, I think you've got to be looking at 2023 20, 20, with, with Earls, who's 33 now. And I know he's... Like, it's very hard to talk ill of Keith Earls at the moment. He's, you know, given some unbelievable interviews. And he's still playing very good rugby. And right now, when you're picking a team to play against all backs, he probably is still the, the, one of the two best wingers in the country. Um, but I do think you've got to take a long view over this window and, and the next year and try and get the other lads in there a bit. So then you've got like, so if you take it to Keenan starting and, Lar- and, and he's starting, then you've got Larmer, uh, Zebo, James Lowe, Balakoon. Am I missing one? I think that's it. Conway. 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 Like they never seem that convinced by Conway, even though I really like him. Lowe, massive issues over his defence. We saw that against the Scarlets again on, on, on Saturday. Larmer, Brilliant football in hand, but his aerial stuff, you still wouldn't be entirely sure of. 
Balakun hasn't played all season yet, but like looks really exciting, but very raw. Probably one for Argentina rather than the first two games. Like Zebo fits in there, whether it's a starter or or, or uh, uh, you know starting, whether it's a starter off the bench. I think there's a real opportunity there for him if he can if he can get in there with his attitude right in training next week and and, and impress them. I think he's got a real opportunity to start. Um, and I think there's a window there for someone to go and grab that jersey because so far, whether it's Stockdale or Lowe or Larmer, none of them have really grabbed that opportunity so far. Yeah, and just on Simon Zebo, four and a half years since his last cap. I looked up earlier if that was a record. I saw that Tony O'Reilly went seven years between caps uh, at one stage of his career, which that's some time to spend out in the cold uh, on international selection. I think that was probably a career decision, though. Yeah, he was probably off he making bills uh, somewhere and decided decide to come back. Um, before he showed Luke, up in his Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah, Luke, you know, how are you look like for you? Who are the two best wings at the moment? Like, out of the list of there, like, who, who are the two guys you think, if we're, if we're going off Keenan, probably being the starter fullback? Who, who are the, for you the two wings for, that you'd have at the moment? Well, I, I'm sorry. It's a big decision there on, on Keenan, but um, I think that's a closer call than you think. Because uh, uh, for me, it would be, I think Zebo's best position is at 15, actually. But um, uh, I think it's Zebo on, on the wing and purely for the reasons that, that actually Rudd said uh, around the defence. He's actually not a big hitter, but he doesn't make any mistakes and he's quite calm out there. Uh, plus, he's obviously great in the air and is a good ha- a good ball handler. I just like I, I I I like having him more involved in the play in the middle of the pitch, um, provided he's in the mood to distribute. I think that's the biggest part of his game that I like about Zebo. I know he has a great knack for a try, um, but I'm never really I'm never really looking at you know those unless they're outstanding ones like a Colby or whoever you're saying. Do you know what? Like yeah, he's you can get him the ball for because he's going to score your tries. I get the ball to Zebo. Because he's got a nice kicking game and he's got a really lovely pair of hands that when he when he's in the form to use them, he really can release other people in the team. So I, I, I wouldn't be ruling him out at fullback. I don't think they'll pick him there. I think they'll pick him on the left or um because I think, you know, he's obviously got that left footed kicking game and Earlsey's actually fine on the right as well if they want to use him there. Um, but they'll pick him there because they haven't got anyone else who can defend properly there, quite simply. Um, he doesn't jump out of the line. He doesn't get fidgety out there. He's quite calm. He's not going to hit you hard, but he's not going to make any mistakes either. And it's pretty important on the wing. Like if you have a bad, like it's funny, people think I'm really negative talking about that stuff, but it's a really important position to be able to defend properly because you're marking all the hardest players, all the, all the most deceptive and quick players on the other team out there. So people don't really talk about it enough. They only ever talk about tries and stuff, but you know, funnily enough, it's it's Zebo's defense that gets him in for me. Weirdly enough, <laughs> I never thought. I'd Can say you just that. imagine how stressful it would be going into an All Blacks game with James Lowe starting on the wing? Yeah, like I think. Look, the only thing is, um, you know, I think he will improve that. Like the 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 the, the problem that for him now is that he's shown that little bit of weakness against the Scarlets. Like he just. I don't know. Like if a player, if the Scarlets can do that to you, I think you're, you know, it really all the hard work that he's put in behind the scenes. And I'm, I am hearing good things about him behind the scenes. Um, it just gets undone by one fidgety mistake. Like you just get a bit nervous, get ahead of the guy on the inside, and like a fairly average player can throw a little out the back, and you know, looks like an absolute hero. Um, so yeah, like he really needs to get that sorted out because I think going forward, like I think he's a loss for us because I feel like he's a, he's one of the only guys that I see there, um, that you know, in a one-on-one scenario. I really think people don't like coming up against him. I, I don't like a particular. I'm, I'm thinking now international class wingers, right wingers, um, you know, who are coming up against. Him. Like I think Zebo is, he's he's quick. He's a good finisher, but his footwork, like he doesn't have massive lateral movement like a Larmer. Like Larmer can probably do it, but he's small. Low to me looks like a real handful to tackle. Like if I was to pick any of those people to mark, Low would be the most the trickiest one with ball in hand to get to the deck. And I think it's a, it's a shame that he hasn't been able to get the defensive part sorted out. That's just speaking purely as a winger. Um, the rest of them, there's like really like top, like 93 caps for Keith Earls, very deceptive, but I still think Lowe would be slightly ahead of him in, if I was worried, if no, I, I, in the week coming up to a game, I'm thinking, Hmm, Okay, I've really got to think about how I'm going to manage this. Do I do I bring my second centre more into the game? So am I going to be a bit more passive, or you know, are these situations like I'm really going to have to get up nice and tight to that guy? You know, if we've got an opportunity to get off the line because he's a real like he's got this upper body strength, he's got wide legs, he's got good footwork, he has good pace. Um, 
Yeah, so look, that that's one that I think, uh, as a winger, I'd be thinking it's a shame that, you know, he can't get the defensive bit sorted out because he should be the starting guy for us. I think he's got all the tools, you know, and a nice kicking game. No, it'll be really interesting to watch how the back three battle develops over November. Uh, lastly on the squad, you know, how confident are you that Ireland can kind of recapture the way they played against England? Because that, you know, if you're being honest, that's probably the outlier of the Andy Farrell era in many ways, in the sense that like a lot of the other games we, we left thinking, you know, the, the French performance, Wales was fits and starts, there was some really positive stuff, there was some not so positive stuff. Scotland, likewise, they played really well for long periods, but then let them back into the game. The November pre- previous, when the Autumn Nations Cup or whatever it was, didn't really inspire people too much. Like, are you confident they can recapture what was so good against England and play it out over the course of, a, of maybe three, four matches? Confident is, is a strong word. Um, I mean, the England game gave them an awful lot of breathing space, I think, because they were under pressure going into it and they delivered a performance of huge accuracy. And I think if those players are accurate and have a really good way of, of, of approaching things, they're good enough to beat most teams on the day. I don't think they're going to beat the All Blacks in this window. They'd be doing well to beat the All Blacks once in those four games over the course of the next year. I know it's not the greatest All Blacks team of all time, but that's a huge step up from where, where they've been. But I think if you've got Doris in there, if you've got you know Ryan and Henderson starting, if you have that front row, you've got a chance against any team. If you've got Sexton playing the way he's been playing in the last couple of weeks, you've got a chance. bit unsure about scrum half at the moment, but you know the centres, you're going to miss Henshaw. Henshaw's been probably the best 12 in the world for the last year. Um, and he's if he doesn't make it back for the All Blacks game, which Lancaster suggested he might earlier in this week, then you know you're going in with with Fondiaki, who's playing very well, and Gary Ringos, who's still I think not in the best form that he's ever been in his career. And we've mentioned the issues like there's been problems on the wing throughout this era in terms of defence, and it depends on whether someone steps up and grabs that jersey. So I still think there's question marks. I think questions were parked um, after the England game. I think they got a lot of credit in the bank in the way they approached it, the nature of the tries, the way they bullied England off the park. And if they get all the things that got right that day, they'll beat most teams. Um, if they beat Japan and Argentina and do well against the All Blacks, I think they'll have had a decent window. It'll push things on. I think the questions over whether Farrell's the man to take them to the World Cup have probably been shelved. I think we're too late into the cycle now. We're in for the long haul. Um, but I do think the risk factors we mentioned earlier, particularly around 10, are still there. I think nine is another problem position potentially. And um, we haven't seen Conor Murray yet this season, so we haven't. It's not really a discussion point, but he's probably going to be starting his, sec- his first game this weekend and the second game against Japan. Um, so yeah, I think all those issues still exist. Will I think England kind of we all just breathe a sigh of relief after England and just park them for a while? But I don't think it'll take long if there's a few middling performances if they all start cropping up again in the next few weeks. Well, it doesn't give us a lot to look forward to and to talk about and to digest over the next few weeks. But just before we finish up, guys, and Luke, I'll go to you first. I want to quickly talk about the officiating and uh, you know the Munster Connacht game last weekend. It's been a huge talking point. Andy Friend has talked about it at length. That try that was allowed just before halftime when it looked like uh, Ty Byrne was offside in the build-up to it. It looked um, like it because it was. Oh, yeah, sorry. no. Well, I saw a few Munster fan <laughs> um, accounts. But, you it's know. like it's like that Oliver Stone movie, JFK. Like right there, going back into the left, back into the left. I mean, they're just finding yeah. still shots. It's just mad stuff. It's clearly like he's yeah. so the naked eye can tell. You can use the ten yards, the ten yard. Like uh, there was a yardstick there to measure. Like it was ridiculous. It was a sh- it was an absolute shocker. Yeah, because obviously you know, the spotlight is on the new league, people hoping that it gains a bit of traction and you know the fallout to it, that the referee manager, Greg Garner, has departed the role. They haven't got a replacement for him yet. So I think Andy Friend was kind of maybe a bit aggrieved that he didn't even have a place where he could really go and air his grievances. Like, well, it's not a good look for the league early doors. <laughs> I think he did have a place. It was yeah. the television. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean, Will, and it does take a bit away. Like, it's so disappointing for such a tough place to go in Tone Park, um, and they were very, very good, particularly in the first half. And I just think it really took the wind out of their sails, I think, um, you know, at a really crucial point. And it's just disappointing that it was officiating that does it like your whatever about it, you know, you know, on the flip side of the coin, say Munster, you know, you get a block down and look, there's obviously been a look in that. Of course, you're in a good position, you work hard, et cetera, et cetera. But generally, look, that's not, you know, you don't, you're not building towards a blockdown try and you can't say, oh, look, we had 20 minutes of dominance and, uh, you know, blockdown at the end was, was a fair result. It's kind of like it was a blockdown from, you know, that, that, that kind of was against it. Well, not against it, but down their half. But it just felt like, you know, you never like leaving a game when the referees are the kind of one of the key differentiators in the game, having made a bad decision. 
Um, and particularly when they didn't even like, you know, looking back at that, I just don't know how they made that mistake. Like I was able to see it as everyone else was on their TV set. I was like, that didn't look right to me at all when I saw the wide shot. So I rev- like I, I re- rewound it straight away and I was, I was able to get that shot on my phone. I don't know if you saw that. Like that was, you know, it was just very, very disappointing for them. And they do need to get someone to make sure that the quality stays up because look, the product I think has potential. But, you know, things like the referees getting bad decisions like that and, and people giving out about them. Like the South Africans have given out about lots of different decisions so far in the competition as well. And a lot of them feel very hard done by around, you know, some of the interpretations. So we just don't want this to be something that we talk about regularly. Um, and it feels like we've been doing that a bit um, because, that, let's face it, no one cares about the referees. They just want to watch the rugby. I don't know about you guys. Like, I'm not, I don't care who's, who's officiating. I just want to know that they, you know, they get most of the decisions you know, 80 or 90% of the decisions right. And, you know, that when I look back on controversial decisions, I can go, oh, look, I can see why he he adjudicated that way. That's all I want, really, um, on those tight calls so that you can see, oh, look, I can see why he did that. It was fast. We'll, we'll forgive him that mistake. But you just want to see, like, blatant ones getting picked up really easily. Um, we haven't really seen that that far. And we haven't, you know, we just don't want to hear teams talking about the referee to, refereeing too much. Yeah, That would be my view on that. So I think someone there would, would definitely help. Yeah, Rob, because I know you were writing about it this week in various pieces. You know, I know you talked to Andy Friend after the game and stuff like that. But, you know, it has been a talking point. And even a few weeks ago, Brendan Fanning had a good article about the Munster Stormers game, how at short notice, you know, the ref- original referee, I think Mike Adamson picked up maybe an injury and uh, Andrew Bryce was pressed into action, who obviously would be very familiar to the Munster players. I, I believe he he's based out of their uh, high performance unit. And, you know, the South Africans, I don't think we're too happy with that. And even though there was there was very limited choice about who could come in and ref the game, you know, the South Africans have been very vocal about, you know, the officiating thus far and their their struggles adapting to it. And then you have another incident like this. And then the and the kind of the spotlight that's now put on the lack of a referee manager to kind of be the, the figurehead to deal with it. Like, what, what have you made of all that, you know, mixed in together? Yeah, I think I agree with Luke completely. I mean, I hate talking about referees. I hate when people talk about them after the game, but like it was such, such a clear incident at the weekend that you could not, you know, get involved with it. And I think really whatever about TMO Brian McNeese's uh, performance and um, Chris Busby, the referee's performance, I think the competition needs to have the infrastructure in place to support both its referees and its co- and the coaches in this regard, because if like it kind of it's happening after every game that like decisions get like particularly in the social media area there's fucking there's stills there's gifts of different incidents and it's you know there's always stuff in rugby games that, that happens so you need to be kind of watertight on this stuff and if you don't have a referees manager in place which they don't because Greg Garner the former English referee who was there left at the end of last season and they they didn't replace him in time for the new season and they still haven't replaced them five rounds in you leave yourself really wide open. And like the competition has its difficulties because it's five different unions. So the five different unions have five different referees managers. And all the referees feed into the... like So John Lacey is the head of Irish referees. Andrew Brace, Chris Busby, Frank Murphy all report into him. So when the new referees manager comes in, they'll, like, they'll then have two bosses. And it's very hard for that Greg Garner figure to, to kind of coordinate everything and get all the refs on the same page. But it's so important for the integrity of the competition. Because if you don't have them on the same page, you end up with this kind of constant uh, perception that either, you know, Connacht think the refs are out to get them, the Welsh think the Irish refs are out to get them, the South Africans think everyone's like, you know, they're, they're being led by Razi Erasmus, who thinks the whole world's out to get them. And then you end up in this vicious cycle of all you talk about is referees. And like, I think that's really, really unhealthy. The sport is, I think the, the law book is too complicated. I think like, I know Joe Schmidt's leaving at the end of the season from World Rugby or at the end of the year from World Rugby his remit in there was to try and simplify things um, along with Joel Jude. Like the, the law book is too complicated. It leaves too much room for interpretation. And then the refs are on the other two hemispheres are interpret, interpreting it completely different ways. And ultimately, we're ending up with games that are being decided by referees making subjective decisions of, as to whether they review stuff, whether they don't review stuff. The games take too long. There's so much going on. And it, it's all detracting, in my opinion, from the sport. Because the sport should be decided by the players in the fit. Like we've just spent our whole show talking about 38 players in an Ireland squad. I hope that at the end of the game against New Zealand, we're not talking about whoever's in charge of that game, that we're talking about one of those players having a, a, a decisive moment. But invariably, if it's a closed game, it'll probably come down to a penalty call and it'll all be back to this again. And, and I think the game has a real issue in this regard. And I think the, the URC 
in particular because of the strange way that it's constructed between the five countries has a kind of a, a very unique issue in that regard and unless they get that referees manager in there who the coaches can actually ring on a Monday and say why did this happen can you explain it to me so I can fix it I can go and talk to my players about what the decision was made the only friend said he hadn't heard from anyone on when by when by Tuesday of this week about the decision like that's not going to help anyone either so um, yeah I think it's a real issue for the, for, for the sport and for the league and it's um, unless they kind of get the infrastructure in place it's all well and good having shiny new graphics and a new name and a new format if you don't have the nuts and bolts right and the infrastructure in place, then the league is just going to stay stand still or go backwards. I feel like it was such an uplifting, positive show for the first like ninety five percent, and I was looking forward <laughs> to the other. Now I feel like I never want to watch the. But the match. games are the games haven't been bad. I, I really enjoyed. Way it. too long. I watched it. I, it's funny. I watched it for the first time with people who'd never were like not into rugby there the last couple of years. Uh, they cannot believe how long it takes for the game to get restarted, for the game to actually start happening around particularly around scrums can't believe it they're like this is like is this the normal game i'm like yeah this is i i'm just used to it it's only now that you've spotted and there's no, I'm like there is no reason it's actually there's no like if you watch games from your dad's era like they just form up and go like it's it, there's yeah, no yeah, reason yeah. it's all lads taking a break cleaning their studs faffing around all it takes is the ref to go right you've got 20 seconds do it like there's no like that's an african lions game i know it's kind of starting to go into the memory banks at this stage but that second test when South Africans deliberately slowed things down, which is such a terrible spectacle. It lasted yeah, so long. And that can't be the norm. And there's so many things that they could actually put in place that would be so simple, like a scrum clock. Form up and go. Stop taking a breather at every every scrum. Stop going down for like changing your, your contact lenses at every turn. You know, like this this stuff is all, you can cut all this stuff out, but like the refs, you know, I suppose the rest are being undermined at every, like they've been undermined by coaches, they're being undermined by TMOs. Yeah, the talking back is well. even, the, the talking back though is being led by all that crap as well. Yeah. Like, like Rassi Erasmus and that, that, that stuff. And the, the amount of players talking to the referee is driving me insane watching. It's pretty slow in the picture there and making their jobs harder. So there's a few things there. Definitely, I think that, that they, they need to get, um, that they need to get sorted. And in terms of our competition, definitely some kind of manager in there as a point of contact for, for both sides. Because the, the, the last thing we want is to not have any communication between both sides or we're doing it through the media because that's not helpful either. That Good just adds up. to the pressure, I think. Mm. Good points well made, lads. But I think we better call it here before we get even more depressed ahead of the <laughs> autumn. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. And I'm looking forward to chatting to you both about it over the next while. Luke Rudd, thanks for joining me. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers, Rudd. That's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. We will be back next week with another podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.